This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening. My name is Susan Derwin, and I am the director of the Interdisciplinary Humanities Center. On behalf of the center and UCSB's writing program, it's my pleasure to welcome you all to the 2017 Diana and Simon Rabb Writer-in-Residence event. I want to begin by thanking Zavini Khan Marcus, the director of the Multicultural Center, for her hospitality this evening. And I also want to invite everyone to stay after the presentation for a reception and a book signing in the adjacent lounge. Um, and books will be available for purchase there as well. So the Diana and Simon Rabb Writer-in-Residence program grows out of Diana Rabb's own experience as an MFA student in writing at Spalding University. During that time, Diana had the opportunity to listen to and learn from the dynamic writers who visited the campus. The Writer-in-Residence program here aims to capture that very experience for UCSB students and the community by bringing esteemed writers to campus to share their work in public readings and also to meet with students to discuss the craft of writing. Yusuf Komunyaka will do just that tomorrow morning when he'll hold a workshop for writing students. Diana Rabb is herself an award-winning author. She has published seven books of poetry and memoir, plus two edited anthologies. And this September, her newest book, Writing for Bliss, A Seven-Step Plan for Telling Your Story and Transforming Your Life, is due out. Now, when Diana was studying at Spalding, Yusuf Komunyaku came to the campus to speak. And more recently, as she was helping a close friend, the late Thomas Steinbeck, craft his own memoir, Komunyaka's work was again very much on her mind, because Steinbeck, like Komunyaka, had served in Vietnam as a military journalist. We are most grateful to Diana and Simon Rabb for enabling the UCSB community to experience live the extraordinary vitality and originality of Yusuf Komunyaka's poetic voice this evening. And please accept our thanks, Diana, for making this opportunity possible. She's right in front. Yusuf Komunyaka was born and raised in the mill town of Bogalusa, Louisiana. After graduating from high school, he joined the U.S. Army in 1965. From 1969 through 70, he deployed to Vietnam, where he worked as a military journalist and managing editor of the Southern Cross, for which he earned a Bronze Star. After Vietnam, Komunyaka enrolled in the University of Colorado Springs on the GI Bill, earning a B.A., he then went on to earn an MA from Colorado State University and to study creative writing at UC Irvine, where he earned an MFA. Komunyaka published his first collection of poetry, Dedications and Other Dark Horses, in 1977. In 1984, the collection Copacetic appeared, and in it, the profound influence in j of jazz and blues upon his writing became evident. He has published well over a dozen volumes, including I Apologize for the Eyes in My Head, which won the San Francisco Poetry Center Award, 
Den Ka Dao, a collection that grew out of his experiences in Vietnam and which was awarded the Dark Room Poetry Prize. And in fact, Den, Den Ka Dao is considered as among the best writing to have been produced about the Vietnam War in any genre. In 1994, Neon Vernacular, New and Selected Poems appeared, winning both the Pulitzer Prize and the Kingsley Tufts Poetry Award. Komunyaka's recent works include Testimony, a tribute to Charlie Parker, The Chameleon Couch, and Emperor of, Emperor of Water Clocks. Komunyaka has taught at numerous universities, including University of New Orleans, Indiana University, and Princeton. Currently, he serves as Distinguished Senior Poet in New York University's Graduate Creative Writing Program. He is a recipient of the Wallace Stevens Award and the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize, among many others. He has gotten fellowships from the Fine Art Works Center in Provincetown, the Louisiana Arts Council, and the National Endowment for the Arts. From 1999 through 2005, he served as Chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. And in 2016, he was appointed State Poet of New York. Please join me in welcoming the 2017 Diana and Simon Rabb Writer-in-Residence, Yusuf Komunyaka. Thanks a lot. Um, it's, it's great to be here, to be looking at your faces out there. Okay. So when the strong and holy high winds whiplash over the soul of marshlands, eaten back to a sigh of salt water, the Crescent City was already shook down to a pylons, a floating rib, backbone spleen. That's the beginning of a poem that goes on for pages and p pages. But it says a lot about um, what I'm trying to do. Okay. I do have a little program here. Sorry about that. Venus's flytraps. I am five, wading out into deep sunny grass, unmindful of snakes in yellow jackets, out to the yellow flowers quivering in sluggish heat. Don't mess with me, cause I have my Lone Ranger six, six shooter. I can hurt you with questions like silver bullets. The tall flowers in my dreams are big as the first state bank. And they eat all the people, except the ones I love. They have women's names with mouths like where babies come from. I'm five. I'll dance for you if you close your eyes, no peeping through your fingers. I don't suppose to be this close to the tracks. One afternoon I saw what a train did to a cow. Sometimes I stand so close, I can see the eyes of men hiding in boxcars. Sometimes they wave and holler. For me to get back, I laugh when trains make the dogs howl, their ears hurt. I also know bees can't live without flowers. I wonder why daddy calls mama honey. All the bees in the world live in little white houses. 
except the ones in these flowers all sticking sweet inside. I wonder what death tastes like. Sometimes I toss the butterflies back into the air. I wish I knew why. The music in my head makes me scared. But I know things I don't suppose to know. I could start walking and never stop. These yellow flowers go on forever, almost to Detroit, almost to the sea. My mama says I'm a mistake that I made her a bad girl. My playhouse is underneath our house, and I hear people telling each other secrets. Blackberries. They left my hands like a printer's before a thieves, or a thieves before a police blotter, and pulled me into early morning sweetness, so damp the ground was concentrated. They fell among a garland of thorns. Although I could smell old lime-covered history at ten, I'd still hold up my hands and berries fell into them, eating from one and filling a half gallon with the other. I ate the mythology and dreamt of pies and cobbler, almost needful as forgiveness. My bird dog spot, odd blue, jay, blue jays and thrashes, the mud frogs in rich blackness hid from daylight. An hour later beside City Limits Road, I banished a gleaming can in each hand, limboed between worlds, repeating, one dollar. The big blue car made me sweat. Winter time crawled out of the windows. When I leaned closer, I saw the boy and girl my age and the wide back seat smirking. And it was then I remembered my fingers burning with thorns among berries too ripe to touch. My father's love letters. On Fridays, he'd open a can of Jack's after coming home from the mill and ask me to write a letter to my mother who sent postcards of desert flowers taller to men. He would beg, promising never to beat her again. Somehow, I was happy she had gone and sometimes wanted to slip in a reminder how Mary Lou Williams polka dots and moonbeams never made the swelling go down. His carpentry apron always budged with old nails, a claw hammer looped at his side, and extension cords curled around his feet. Words rolled from under the pressure of my ballpoint, love, baby, honey, please. We sat in the cripe Brutality of voltage meters and pipe threaders lost between sentences, the gleam of a five-pound wedge on the concrete floor pulled a sunset through the doorway of his tool shed. I wonder if she'd laugh and held them over a gas burner. My father could only sign his name, but he'd look at blueprints and say how many bricks formed each wall, 
this man who stole roses and hyson for his yard would stand there with eyes closed and fists ball, laboring over a simple word, almost redeemed by what he tried to say. Slam Duncan Hook. A fast breaks, layups, but Mercury's insignia on our. <clears throat> Let me get some water. <laughs> okay. Fast breaks, layups, with Mercury's insignia on our sneakers. We outmaneuvered the footwork of bad angels. Nothing but a hot swish of strings like silk, ten feet out. In the roundhouse labyrinth our bodies created, we could almost last forever, poised in midair like storybook sea monsters. A high noke hung there, a lone second off the rim, which cork screw up and dunk balls exploded, the skull cap of hope and good intention, lanky, all hands and feet sprung rhythm. We were metaphysical when girls cheered on the sidelines, tangled up in a falling. Muscles were a bright motor, double flashing to the metal hoop, nailed to our oak. When Sonny Boy's mama died, he played nonstop all day, so hard, of a backboard splintered, glistening with sweat. We rolled the ball off of our fingertips. Trouble was there, slapping a blackjack against an open palm. Dribble, drive to the inside, and glide like a sparrowhawk. Layups, fast breaks. We had moves we didn't know we had. Our bodies spawned on swivers of bond and faith through a lyric slipping out of joy. And we knew we were beautiful and dangerous. I should say that um, if I hadn't written the poems about Vietnam, I don't think I would have written about um, growing up in Bogalusa. More girl than boy. You'll always be my friend. Is that clear, Robert Lee? We go beyond the wind of each other's words, hand on a shoulder, go beyond the color of hair. Playing down to man on the field. We embraced each other before I discovered girls. You taught me a heavy love for jazz. How words can hurt more than a quick jab. Something there's no word for saved us from the streets. Night's pale horse rode you past common sense but you made it home from Chicago. So many dreams dead. All the man's sweet gigs. 
meant absolutely nothing. Welcome back to Riff Robert. You always could make that piano talk like somebody's mama. O2, a drum. Gazelle, I kill you for your skin's exquisite touch. For how easy it is to be nailed to a board with it raw as white busher paper. Last night, I heard my daughter praying for the meat here at my feet. You know, it wasn't anger that made me stop my heart till the hammer fell. Weeks ago, I broke you as a woman once shattered me into a song beneath her wake before you slouched into that grassy hush. But now, I'm tightening lashes, shaping hard as if around the ribcage stretched like five bowstrings. Ghosts, cannot slip back inside the body's drum. You've been seasoned by wind, dust, and sunlight. Pressure can make everything whole again. Brass nails tacked into the ebony wood. Your face has been carved five times. I have to drive trouble from the valley, trouble in the hills, trouble on the river too. There's no cola nut, plum wine, fish, salt, a calabash, kadoom, 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 kadoom. Now, I've beaten a song back into you. Rise and walk away like a panther. Camouflaging the Camara. We tied branches to our helmets. We painted our faces and rifles with mud from a riverbank. Blades of grass hung from the pockets of our tiger suits. We wove ourselves into the terrain, content to be a hummingbird's target. We hugged bamboo and leaned against a breeze off the river, slow dragon with ghosts. From Saigon to Bangkok, left, with women left in doorways, reaching in from America. We aimed at dark-hearted sunbirds. In our way station of shadows, rock apes tried to burrow our cover, throwing stones at the sunset. Chameleons crawl our spines, changing from day to night, green to gold, gold to black. But we waited till the moon touched metal. Till something almost broke inside us. V.C. struggled with the hillside like black silk, wrestling iron through grass. We weren't there. The river ran through our bones. Small animals 
took refuge against our bodies. We held our breath, ready to spring the L-shaped ambush as the world revolved under each man's eyelid. You and I are disappearing. The cry I bring down from the hills belongs to a girl still burning inside my head. At daybreak, she burns like a piece of paper. She burns a fox far in a thigh-shaped valley, a skirt of flames. Dances around her like dust. We stand with our hands hanging at our sides while she burns like a sack of dry ice. She burns like oil on water. She burns like a cattail torch dipped in gasoline. She glows like the fat tip of a banker's cigar, silent as quick siver, a tiger on the rainbow at nightfall. She burns like a shot glass of vodka. She burns like a field of poppies at the edge of a rainforest. She rises like dragon smoke to my nostrils. She burns like a burning bush driven by a god-awful wind. Next poem is entitled, Thanks. Thanks. For the tree between me and the sniper's bullet. I don't know what made the grass weigh seconds before the Viet Cong raised his soundless rifle. Some voice always followed, telling me which foot to put down first. Thanks for deflecting the ricochet against that anarchy of, against that anarchy of dust. I was back in San Francisco wrapped up in a woman's wild colors, causing some dark bird's love call to be shattered by daylight. When my hands reached up and pulled a branch away from my face, thanks for the vague white flower that pointed to the gleaming metal reflecting how it is to be broken like mist over the grass. What made... Thanks for the vague white flower that pointed to the gleaming metal, reflecting how it is to be broken like mist over the grass as we played some deadly game for blind gods. What made me spot the monarch on a single thread tied to a farmer's gate, holding the day together like an unfingered guitar strike? is beyond me. Maybe the hills grew weary and leaned a little in the heat. Again, thanks for the dead hand grenade tossed at my feet. Outside July, I'm still falling through its silence. I don't know why the intrepid sun touched the banner, but I know that something stood among those lost trees and move only when I moved. I wanted to write a long book about 
of short poems about small things and monumental things. And the second poem in the series is 132 poems and um, talking directly to the gods. The second of those poems is this poem entitled Ode to the Maggot. Brother Small. Brother of the blowfly and Godhead, you work magic over battlefields, slabs of bad pork and flop houses. Yes, you go to the root of all things. You are sound and mathematical. Jesus Christ, you are merciful with the truth. Ontological and lustrous, you cast spells on beggars and kings. Behind the stone door, a Caesar's tomb, a split trench in a field of ragweed. No decree or creed can outlaw you as you take every living thing apart. Little master of earth, no one gets to heaven without going through you first. Okay. Uh, switching um, direction a little bit. Um, Cape Coast Castle. I made love to you, and it loomed there. We sat on the small veranda of the cottage and listened hours to the sea talk. I didn't have to look up to see if it was still there. For days it followed us along polluted beaches where the boys herded cows and the girls danced for the boys to the money changer and then to the marketplace. It went away when the ghost of my mother found me sitting beneath a palm, but was in the van with us on a road trip to the country as we zoomed past thatch houses. It was definitely there when a few dollars exchanged hands and we were hurried through customs past the guards. I was standing in the airport in Amsterdam sipping a glass of red wine half lost and Van Gogh's swarm of colors and it was there brooding in a corner. I walked into the public toilet, thinking of W.E.B., buried in a Muslim, and all his books and papers going to dust. And there it was, in that private moment, the same image, obscene because it was built to endure time, 
stronger than our houses and altars, the seeds of melon, the seeds of gumbo and trade winds. Headed to a new world, I walked back into the throng of strangers, but it followed me. I could see the path slaves traveled, and I knew when they first saw it, all their high guards knelt on the ground. Why did I taste salt water in my mouth? We stood in a line for another plane, and when the plane rose over the city, I knew it was there crossing the Atlantic. Not a feeling, but a loneliness. I was in Accra again, gazing up at the vaulted cathedral ceiling of the compound. I could see the ships at dusk rising out of a law of amazing grace, crescent the waves. The governor stood on his balcony, holding a sword, pointing to a woman in the courtyard sand. That one, bring me that tall, ample wench. Enslaved hands dragged her to the center. Then they threw buckets of water on her, but she tried to fight. They pinned her to the ground. She was crying. They prodded her up the stairs, one step and then another. Oh, yeah. She still had some fight in her, but the governor's power was absolute. He said, there's a tyranny of language in my fluted bones. There's poetry on every page of the good book. There's God's work to be done in a forsaken land. There's a whole tribe in this one but I'll break them before they're in the womb, before they're conceived, before they're even thought of. Come up here. Don't be afraid up here to the governor's quarters, up here where laws were made. I haven't delivered the head of Pompey or John the Baptist on a big silver tray, but I own your past, present, and future. You're special. You're not like the others. Yes, I'll break you with fists and cat nine. I'll thoroughly break you, head to feet, a sister. I'll break you most dearly with sweet words. Following my little list, um, memory of the murdered professors at the Jangalonian. 
and they fired a bullet into the head of each question, trying to kill Kant's unending argument with Hegel. They burned laws, moral codes, and a golden mean. Anyone serving tea and cookies to death, looking or acting as if he knew love, stood before the firing squad. All questions had to go, pronoun or noun, if it crawled on busted kneecaps, whimpering and begging for mercy, it was still half of a question. The little skyscraper of glass boxes, sunlight strikes the same time of day, at a certain angle outside Zakopane, looks like condos where nimble ghosts still stand up to the darkest answers. No, I can't hear one voice pleading, but I do hear Gus coming down from the hills. No, you're wrong again. The crow perch on the totem is real. Look at how the light lifts off its wings. But I wish I could understand what it is he's trying to say. I think I heard a name. I just read a few last poems. When eyes are on me, I was a scrappy old line. Let me start over. You know, I have to admit that sometimes I remember early versions of poems. <laughs> Don't it? Okay. I am. A scrappy old line who's wandered into a Christian square, quavering with centers of forged bells. The cobblestones make my feet ache. I walk big-shouldered, my head raised proudly. I smell the blood of a king. The The citizens can only see a minotaur in a maze. I know more than the line should know. My roar goes back to the Serengeti to when a savannah was craggy ice. But now it frightens only pigeons from a city stoop. They believe they know my brain's contours and grammar. Don't ask me how I know the signs engraved on a sundial, the secret icons behind a gaze. I wish their crimes hadn't followed me here. I can hear their applause in the dusty citadel. I know what it took to master the serpent and will, the crossbow and spinal tap. Once I was a leopard beside a stone gate. I am a riddle 
to be unraveled. I am not, and I am. When their eyes are on me, I become whatever is judged badly. I circle the park. Hunger shapes my keen sense of smell a lifetime ahead. They will follow my paw prints till they're lost in snow and dust. If I walk in circles, I hide from my shadow. They plot stars to know where to find me. I am a prodigal bird perched on the peak of a godhouse. I have a message for fate. The sunlight has shown me the guns and their beautiful sons are deadly. Okay, just two last poems. Um, Oh, that's another book. <laughs> Sorry. The day I saw Barack Obama reading Derek Walcott's collected poems. Was he looking for St. Lucia's light to touch his face those first days in the official November snow and sleet falling on the granite pose of Lincoln. If he were searching for property lines drawn in the blood or for a hint of resolve crisscrossing a border Maybe he'd found a clue in the taste of breadfruit. I could see him stop there squinting in crooked light, the haze of Wall Street, touching clouds of double consciousness, an eye etched into a sign borrowed from Egypt. If he's looking for tips on basketball, how to rise up and guard the hoop, he may glean a few theories about war, but they aren't in the star Apple Kingdom. If he wants to find a master himself, searching for clues to govern seagulls and salty air. He'll find henchmen busy with locks and chains and a ghost schooner's nocturnal calm. He's reading someone who won't speak of milk and honey, but of looking ahead beyond pillars of salt raised in a dream where fat bulbs split open the earth the spine of the manifest was broken, licking deeds, songs, and testaments. Jester stood 
in the shoes of mercy, and doubt was banished up and put to bed. Now he looks as if he wants to eat words, their sweet, intoxicating flavor, banana leaf and animal being a non-being. In fact, craving wisdom, he bites into memory. The President of the United States of America thumbs the pages slowly, moving from reverie to reverie, learning why one envies the octopus for its ink, how a man's skin becomes the final page. And the last poem is a poem entitled Islands. Islands. An island is one great eye gazing out, a beckoning lighthouse searchlight, a wishbone compass, a counterweight to the stars. When it comes to outlook and point of view, a figure stands on the rocky ledge, peering out towards an archipelago of glass on the mainland, a seagull's wings touching the tip of a high wave out to where the brain may stumble. But when a mind clams down from its long, craggy lookout, we know it is truly a stubborn thing and has to leaf through pages of dust and light through pre-memory and folklore, remembering fires roared down there till they pushed up through the seafloor and plumes of ash covered the dead, shaking awake whirls away and silence fill up with centuries of waiting. Sea urchin, turtle and crab came with earthly know-how and one bird arrived with a sprig in his beak before everything clouded with cries a millennium of small death now topsoil and seasons of blossoms and a single seed, light edge along salt-crusted stones across a cataract of blue water, and lost sailors' parrots spoke of sirens, the last words of men buried at sea. Someone could stand here contemplating the future leafing through toned pages of St. Augustine, of the prophecies by fishermen, translating spur and folly down to taproot, the dreamy-eyed boy still into man, the girl into woman, a sunny forecast behind today, but the Mars beyond words, to behold a body of water is to know pig iron and mother wet. Whoever this figure is, he will soon return to dancing through the aroma of Dagger's Log, Ginger Lily, Bowl and Villa, between chance and strange struck till gourds rally the healing air and the church steeper birds fly sweet darkness home. Whoever this 
friend or lover is, he intones redemptive harmonies. To lie down the remembrance is to know each of us is a prodigal son or daughter looking out beyond land and sky, the chemical and metaphysical beyond falling and turning water wheels and the colossal brain of damnable gods, a eureka held up to the sun's blinding eye, born to gaze into far. After conquering frontiers, the mind comes back to rest, stretching out over the white sand. told <laughs> there's one question <laughs> no <laughs> okay questions thank you Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I, I had to write um, those poems about Vietnam. Um, I hadn't planned on writing the book. I was building a house. No, I was not building a house. I was renovating a house. My father's a carpenter. Um, my... Um, great-grandfather was a carpenter as well. Um, so I was renovating a house in New Orleans. And I keep a... When I'm doing physical work, I love doing physical work, but I keep a pad of paper close by. And I start writing lines. Um, I wrote a poem called Somewhere Near Fu Bai. And then all the all the Vietnam-related poems came forth. And I realized that, in a way, Vietnam was connected to Bogalusa. It had everything to do with terrain um, in both locations. One could drop a seed and some plant would rise out of the ground. And had to do with, I think, water, the richness of the soil. So I think maybe that's how it's connected. But I had to write those poems first before I understood. Because um, I, I, I think we internalize the terrain and it becomes portable. It travels with us wherever we go. Um, so, yes, those places were connected to my psyche in some way. That's good. Thank you. 
Maybe I'll read another poem then, if there's not a question. Um, I'm going to read. Um, I said I wouldn't write about Vietnam, but I wrote a poem called, um, it's a prose poem. And it's called Grenade. It's dedicated to the 14 or 15 young black men who threw themselves on grenades in Vietnam. It's almost like a well-kept secret. And I, I still, I'm trying to understand, still trying to understand. Um, I was teaching at, at Stanford, and I was supposed to give a 12 o'clock presentation. And I said I would never write about Vietnam again, but I wrote Grenade. And this is the poem. There's no rehearsal to turn flesh into dust so quickly. A hair trigger, a cock hammer in the brain, a split second between man and infamy, it lands on the ground, a few soldiers duck, and the others are caught in a half run, and one throws himself down on the grenade. All the watches stop, a flash, smoke, silence, the sound fills the whole day. Flesh and earth fall into the eyes and mouths of the men. A dream trapped in midair. They touch their legs and arms, their groins, ears and noses, saying, What happened? Some are crying. Others are laughing. Some are almost dancing. Someone tries to put the dead man back together. He just dove on the damn thing, sir. A flash, smoke, silence, the day blown apart. For those who can walk away, what is their burden? Shreds of flesh and bloody rags gathered up and stuffed into a bag. Each breath belongs to him, each song, each curse, every prayer is his. Your body doesn't belong to your mind and soul. Who are you? Do you remember the man left in the jungle? The others who owe their lives to this phantom, do they feel like you? Would his loved ones remember him if that little park of stature erected in his name didn't exist and doesn't enlarge their lives? You wish he had lied down in that closed coffin and not wander the streets or enter your bedroom at midnight the woman you love, she would never understand. Who would? You remember what he used to say. If you give a kite too much strain, it'll break free. That unselfish certainty. But you can't remember when you began to live his unspoken dreams. You were interviewed in the recent uh, Writer's Chronicle, and you said something about revolutionaries cannot be invisible. Can you talk about that now 
perhaps a little bit, and if you've been more inspired to write poetry at this moment? Revolutionaries cannot be invisible. Well, um, I have many ideas about that, uh, but I'll, I'll just touch on a few. Um, I'll go back to my definition of poetry. My own definition is celebration and confrontation. Um, when Plato banishes the poet from his ideal republic, um, I think he knew what he was doing. Um, because poets have always posed questions. And questions are revolutionary. And those questions have to be active in the world. Um, I'm not talking about um, well, let's think about it in this way. Questions, I think, are really what each of us have as citizens. And in those questions, a certain responsibility. Even someone like Eisenhower we don't think of Eisenhower as having questions, right? But in fact, in 1961, when he's leaving the office, he does give us something to think about. When he says, um, beware of the military-industrial complex. That's the general. We can keep that question going in a way, especially we think about now. Okay. Um, Eisenhower, our only five-star general, I think. And um, there's, there's just so many, so many ways to continue to be engaged. And that's always, it's not behind a facade, it's not behind a fence, it's in the open as a citizen. Okay, anything else? Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.